Welcome to If I Were You, the Bonolo podcast and blog series about antitrust and, in easy to understand terms, how in house lawyers can explain key antitrust risks to their business teams. I'm Luis Blanquet with Bonolo. Today, I have two guests from the law firm Bambay and Bellis, a leading independent firm based in Brussels and London. In addition to an outstanding competition law practice, which includes Brussels based partner Andreas Raymond and London-based senior associate Mark Friedman, both of whom are joining me today. The firm also has highly regarded trade, customs, commercial, and regulatory practice. competition lawyer who has worked on the full range of EU competition law issues for over 30 years. Andreas regularly represents clients in merger cases and antitrust investigations before the European Commission and national competition authorities. In addition, he has broad experience advising clients on collaboration agreements, distribution issues, and pricing strategies. Mark focuses on UK and EU competition law. He has particular expertise in relation to UK merger control and FDI screening, having recently completed a year-long secondment to the mergers team of the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMAF. In addition, Mark's practice includes advising clients on antitrust investigations, as well as advising tailored compliance policies and strategies in relation to a wide range of potential and of particular relevance to this podcast. Mark has recently written and spoken about the trends towards heightened European antitrust scrutiny of labor markets. Our topic is antitrust in labor markets in the UK and EU. The enforcement of no poach, no, no solicitation, and wage fixing agreements. In the US, we've seen a rise in criminal and civil prosecutions in this area. But our question today is what is the state of enforcement in Europe? Prompting today's topic is a new publication in the UK. There, the CMA issued guidance just a few months ago, in February 2023, called employers advise on how to avoid anti-competitive behavior. With that new guidance in play, I thought it's a good time to discuss enforcement efforts against labor markets collusion in Europe. So let's begin with that publication out of the UK. Mark, can you please summarize a bit what the guidance says? Thanks, Louise, and it's great to be here today. Well, in short, the CMA guidance essentially focuses on three specific types of anti-competitive behavior in labor markets. Firstly, no poaching agreements, which occur when two or more businesses agree not to approach or hire each other's employees or not to do so without the other employer's consent. Secondly, wage fixing agreements, which occur when two or more businesses agree to fix employees' pay or other employee benefits. And this includes agreeing the same wage rates or setting maximum caps on pay. Thirdly and finally, information sharing, which involves sharing between two or more businesses sensitive information about terms and conditions that a business offers to employees, which in turn reduces competition between those in recruitment and retention. Uh, the guidance goes on to note that anti-competitive agreements can negatively impact labour markets, for example, by reducing employees' pay packets, reducing employee, employee mobility and choice, and limiting a business's ability to expand, and concludes by encouraging businesses, legal advisors, and recruiters to take a number of admittedly rather basic steps in order to reduce the relevant risks. 
Okay, I see. And uh, as a quick follow-up for Mark, um, what are the top two things that businesses should know about the CMA? Uh, that's a great question. So uh, I think my first point is that somewhat frustratingly, this guidance is very short. It's only around two pages. And it's therefore really important to recognize what it doesn't say. So for instance, there's no mention of the fact that in order to find that a labor market agreement infringes UK antitrust law, the company's party to that agreement need not be competitors on the downstream market. And that's because the product market concern is for labor on which companies compete for their future employees, as defined by the interchangeability of workers from the company's perspective as employers. So, for example, a supplier and its distributors may not compete on the product market, but may to some extent compete for the same talent and could therefore be labour market competitors. And I guess my second point would be that more generally, and whilst again not mentioned in the guidance, the consequences of UK antitrust violations can be very severe. So just to unpack that a bit, especially in recent years, the CMA has been a particularly aggressive enforcer that won't shy away from levying very significant fines on companies it deems to have infringed UK antitrust law. Moreover, the CMA has a fearsome array of other potential sanctions at its disposal, including, unlike many other European antitrust authorities, possible criminal liability under a separate criminal cartel offence and individual director disqualifications which I think is a really key difference between the CMA and its European peers. So just picking up very quickly on your first point, what about the guidance uh, doesn't mention? Am I right in thinking that non-competes in employment contracts aren't mentioned? And if not, how would these be treated under UK antitrust law? Yes, that's right. The guidance doesn't refer to non-competes in employment contracts, which I know has been a hot topic in the US recently. On your second question, perhaps this is a good opportunity for Andreas to share his thoughts on the EU position, which is in practice the same as in the UK. Thanks, Mark. Uh, sure, yes. So um, for the EU, generally speaking, it's true that the non-competes in, in employment contracts can't be reached by EU competition law. Um, and that's because uh, you, in these agreements, you don't actually have two independent undertakings to firms as parties to the agreement. Now, I've seen arguments that this should be different to the extent that a non-compete would extend to the employee working as an independent uh, post-employment. But I must say, I doubt that this argument would persuade a competition authority or court in Europe. It's also worth considering that the European Commission doesn't have rulemaking authority like the FTC claims to have in this field. So for now, I think it's fair to expect that this is not going to become an area of increased enforcement activity. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you both. So Mark, in this recent CMA guidance, uh, is this the recent CMA guidance really used or have companies long known that this sort of behavior is prohibited and it's really the enforcement priority that is new. Mm. So, so I, th I think it's really the latter, a, a, a change in enforcement priorities. You know, whilst UK antitrust law has always applied to this area and these types of conduct, until recently, it hasn't really been a focus for the CMA, uh, and nor has it really been for other antitrust authorities outside of the US. But that's now changing, 
and there's recently been a notable increase in antitrust in scrutiny of labour markets in the UK. And for instance, in July last year, the CMA launched an antitrust investigation into alleged wage fixing by various sports broadcasters regarding the wages of freelance staff, such as camera operators and sound engineers. Also, and following hot on the heels of the guidance document, in the CMA's annual plan published in late March this year, identifying potential competition issues within UK labour markets was clearly highlighted as a particular area of focus for 2023 to 2024. It therefore now seems very clear that the CMA is following the global trend, in fact, uh, of earmarking labour market conduct as a specific enforcement priority. And so it's presumably only a matter of time before we see more cases in this area. Great. So I, I, I think that's that's true across Europe. But if I may add here, perhaps a, a nuance on company awareness. So, so clearly we hear the message from competition authority, but especially if you look at the continent, uh, my sense is still that for a long time, there has been the widespread perception that, that labor markets are different. Uh, they are governed by a lot of regulations, but they are not an area creating competition law risks. Uh, I, I think that perception has changed, certainly for, for global players that are also aware of US developments and that can easily extend their compliance programs to Europe. But in Europe, I would not be surprised if there's still a fair number of European companies that have not yet picked up the message. Got it. So, Andreas, now about the EU. What is happening there in terms of uh, antitrust and labor markets? Right. I, I think it's important when we talk about EU enforcement to, to set the scene here. Um, EU competition law is, is enforced and, and applied not only by the European Commission, which we would usually focus on, but, but also by member state competition authorities. So it's highly relevant from, uh, to evaluate the EU enforcement record against labor market conduct, but also, and perhaps more importantly, from a risk assessment perspective, it's highly relevant to, to, to look not only what the Commission is doing, but also what is happening at, at the member state level in terms of EU competition law enforcement in this area. And, and if, we, if we take this broader look, it's, uh, you will immediately recognize that there has been a, an uptick in enforcement activities in a number of different member state competition authorities. Uh, in addition, clear signals from Brussels that the European Commission is, is actively looking in a number of cases. Okay, so have there been any easy investigations or charges that uh, you can talk about? So investigations, yes, we know, but nothing has to date reached the stage of, of formal charges. Um, so to summarize, for, for a number of years now, the Commissioner for Competition has made it clear that labor markets are a priority. Uh, in, in a recent speech, Commissioner Vestager again mentioned exactly the same type of agreements that, that we have been talking about with respect to the UK. So no poach and wage fixing as agreements that, that can raise competition law concerns. Recently, also the director of cartel enforcement during the spring meeting noted that uh, they they have not 
brought a formal case uh, that, that these issues are on, on the Commission's radar and that there are several cases that they are actively looking into uh, and, and one has to see what comes out of it. Now, it's in that context worth mentioning that only this week, uh, for the first time, details about at least one of these investigations has, has, have come out. So we know now that it's uh, an agreement between two players in, in the tech space, uh, products for radio frequency issues. We know that, that one of them is a Qualcomm subsidiary. We also know that it's a potentially a more complex case because it seemed to involve a, a joint venture between the parties and then perhaps certain employment related restrictions may be, may be justified. But at least on, on that case, we know now that, that there is a pending ongoing investigation. Right. So what are the member states? Perhaps examples of uh, recent NCA enforcement activity in this area? Yeah, let me. Also, yeah. I'm going to say that in EU member states, enforcement against labor market agreements would be administrative, could be criminal in the UK. Uh, and in most cases, legal agreements are an antitrust violation. So, in the end, it would be considerably easier to adopt an infringement decision and defend it in court. And it is to obtain a criminal conviction uh, in a US court. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So, so let me answer uh, both of your questions one, one at a time. Maybe I, I pick just uh, two illustrative examples from, from Member State enforcement activities. Uh, to, last year, April 2022, the, the Portuguese authority um, fined the, the football association, the football league, and, and uh, over 30 football clubs uh, for over 10 million euros uh, for an anti-competitive no-poach agreement. Uh, the clubs and the league had agreed that there would be no hiring of players that unilaterally terminated their contract with another team during uh, the COVID uh, epidemic. But um, we think, in, in, especially in Portugal, there are more cases coming because the authority has, has recently also said that uh, their, their pipeline of no-poach agreement is, is well-filled. Another example would be the Hungarian authority uh, that find uh, human resources consulting agencies uh, for a few million euros. Uh, this was an agreement that was broader, uh, restricting also uh, minim uh, minimum fees and, and conditions on recruitment services. But the agreement also included a, a no-poach clause. So that was caught in the, in the broader investigation. So these are just two examples of, of what we have seen already in Europe. To your second question, the enforcement risks, I, 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 that's, I think, a fair description. So it is important to note uh, that most enforcement, certainly on the, on the continent in Europe, would be administrative. Uh, competition law would establish a, a legal presumption that, that in many cases, these agreements could be uh, unlawful justifications usually are not accepted. So it would be, I think one can at least conclude it was easier to establish an administrative infringement to defend an infringement decision in court than it has been in the US to, uh, to obtain a criminal 
conviction in in court proceedings so from that risk perspective i think the likelihood that that an unlawful agreement might result in an adverse decision is probably higher in europe yes thanks andrea that's very helpful so do you therefore this area where companies have to watch out member states authorities well yes and no so of course many times this type of agreements will have a local scope and according to case allocations within within europe it's probably more likely that a national competition authority would investigate but at the same time i think it's important to consider that there's also competition among competition authorities so there may be a question who takes the lead in this area who is setting the standards who gets the most public recognition for uh, tough enforcement so i think it's fair to assume that the european commission will actively try to create its own enforcement record uh, when suitable cases come along okay so here's a question for for you both what if you what if you are an employer listening to this podcast and you realize that you've crossed the line and this guy's employee hiring or wages uh, with a competitor let, let me let me go first on that. that that's a very interesting question louise and, and not an especially easy one to answer but but let me have a go um so okay fundamentally if such conduct is detected the situation should be treated just the same as the discovery of any other type of unlawful agreement between competitors um, a careful and case-by-case -case assessment will be required in order to decide upon the most appropriate strategy going forward that effectively mitigates antitrust risks now the most appropriate course of action could um, range from say stepping away from the relevant agreement and merely creating a note to file documenting this if the risks are sufficiently low or all the way up to making a leniency application to the relevant competition authorities if the situation is so serious um, so as to potentially expose the company to a cartel investigation which would at, at the very least clearly be costly and, and time consuming andreas did, did you have anything to add to that sure uh a small quick point but it's it's important and and, and based actually on, on on questions we we have received from clients so the question is if if you do step away from a relevant agreement but you decide not to make a lenience application which which as you already suggested may may well be justified in in particular scenarios then then you have a question uh, how do you best manage communication channels both both internally but also potentially with the other parties that uh, you had an agreement with um, may, maybe the first uh, intuition would be to contact the other companies and and tell them explicitly that you don't consider yourself uh, a party to a relevant agreement any longer but um, the concern here is that creating additional channels of communication is risky right it, they are uncontrollable you don't know exactly what is said uh, going forward so that may not be the best strategy um, at the same time if you if you are silent towards the other companies and you don't explicitly say that you won't implement the agreement then there's the additional residual risk that the other parties may still implement the agreement on their side so this is a can be a tricky situation ultimately we have usually advised our clients 
not to communicate with the other companies at all, uh, but at the same time, maintain extraordinarily tight control over internal communications so that everyone is on board and knows uh, how, how to react if there are any signals from, from the other side. Right. So this final question is again to, to either of you. What is the number one piece of compliance advice you have for employers in the UK or EU when it comes to labour markets? Why don't I go first again? So I, I think it would have to be that compliance should be a top priority. You know, clearly, labour market related conduct should firmly be incorporated into the antitrust compliance policy of every firm with business activities, not only in the UK, but in, in Europe more generally in light of everything we've been discussing, as I'm sure Andreas would agree. And if I were you, now would seemingly be the ideal time to start making those necessary updates. Sure, yeah, I, I agree. And, and what Mark said applies really across all industries. Um, we have already seen these issues crop up in, in all sorts of different sectors. And uh, all many European antitrust authorities have, have clearly shown themselves to be agnostic when it comes to the industry where they will be looking for cases. So there's clearly no, no single industry that, that would be immune from potential problems. Um, I think one, one useful piece of advice uh, is that I, um, I would add is that whatever a company selects to, to address uh, compliance risks in the US, so if, if that's already on the radar in terms of US antitrust compliance, uh, I think it's the, the right approach to apply the same attitude, the same approach also with respect to uh, labor market issues in Europe. Well, that uh, really wraps up our program on collusion in labor markets in the UK and uh, in the EU. So thanks so much to, to my guest for joining me. Thank you. It was a Thank great you. pleasure.